Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, Eric Manuel of Expert Mindset Coaching joins me to discuss his approach to helping athletes reach their performance potential. Eric's athletic background led him to his career as a sports performance coach. Eric works with athletes at all levels, from high school and college student-athletes to professional fighters and everyone in between. I'm certain you'll find this conversation interesting if you compete on any level, on the field, or even in the working world. As always, thank you for continuing to subscribe and share the podcast. Please send me your questions or comments you have and check us out on social media. So yeah, like I was telling you before we started recording, I, I could have used a, uh, a sports psychologist today. You know, what, what do you, how do you handle a situation when someone's had kind of a, an off day or, you know, isn't finding much success in their performance and, you know, they're kind of, you know, I was in, in the shower after it and just kind of like, oh, man, you know, just beating myself up over the decisions I was making and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, there's athletes definitely understand this experience. You know, sometimes it's the drive home when you're mm-hmm. just sitting there and you're like, man, what did I just do? Like, that was a miserable practice. Sometimes it's in mm-hmm. the shower afterwards or, you know, yeah. a little bit a little bit further removed from the practice. But the, the big thing is, like, there were probably some good moments from that practice, you know. And so trying mm-hmm. to take those good moments that you had and, and focus on those, choosing to intentionally dwell on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, as humans, we have this negativity bias that's built into us. You know, mm-hmm. we, we tend to focus on and dwell on the negative aspects of our practices or competitions mm-hmm. a little too much. And that doesn't serve us, you know, as, as competitive athletes. So we've got to work to override that natural instinct and, you know, using things like mindfulness and awareness and attention to choose to focus on the positive aspects. So that's what I would ask you is what went well? during that practice. You know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to really think about that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that answers the question, right? You know, if we were going back and forth, then uh, I'd come up with something. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I get it. Like, it's super important to, you know, just understand the positives and know that the negatives come and go and you're building off both, really, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, the negatives are something to build off of as well. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about this one uh, today. My guest is Eric Manuel. Get yes, that sir. right. All right, sweet. Um, he, you are a sports psychologist, and you have a practice named Expert Mindset. So I will definitely link all that when I post this podcast. But um, you know, describe what you do for a living and and who you work with and and you know kind of what got you into it yeah so sorry yeah so first just a a small correction um i'm not a sports psychologist okay so my yeah so in in order to call yourself a sports psychologist you have to have a phd in psychology Ah, okay i don't i have a Mm -hmm. master's degree in in applied sport and exercise psychology so the term that I refer to myself as is a mental performance consultant or a mental okay. performance coach. Mm-hmm. A lot of the clients I work with, they just call me a mindset coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can kind of call me whatever they want. I just can't refer to myself as a as a psychologist or a sports psychologist or a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that one small small correction. But basically, I I got into this sport like or into this field like most people, you know, as a former athlete. 
Um, grew up playing a bunch of different sports, football, basketball, baseball, but wrestling was the one that I really got into. And by, you know, I started wrestling in, in about the second grade, but by the time I got to high school, I was pretty much solely focused on wrestling. And, you know, I had the season in the winter, but then in the off season, I was getting, you know, sometimes three times as many matches as I would in, in the regular season. So I was wrestling a lot and um, had some success, you know, as a state champion two-time academic All-American. And and then I got to the point, which, you know, a lot of your listeners are probably at where they're, you know, making that decision on if they want to compete in college, if they want to continue their career. And for me, I, I had just burned myself out, you know, and this is something that young athletes deal with a lot, especially when they are sports specific and they're competing in that same sport year round. And, and that's what I was doing. And just the pressure of the competition and the stress of being turned on, you know, 24, seven, 365, it just wore me out to the point to when I graduated high school and I was like, I, I just can't do this anymore, you know? And, and I had to just step away from the sport. And that was tough because I wrapped up so much of my identity as a wrestler, you know, and, and it was really hard to separate myself from that and then have to try to figure out who I was if I wasn't a wrestler, you know? Right. So that was a whole, you know, chapter of my life and something that some of your listeners may be able to resonate with. But after that, I, I went to LSU, I got my degree in psychology. And then after that, I went and got my master's degree in, in applied sport and exercise psychology at a college in Ireland. So I actually studied abroad for my master's degree. I got that and then I came back to Louisiana, moved to New Orleans, mm -hmm. and just started up a private practice. And, and I've been working with athletes here locally, athletes around the country, some athletes in different countries, and just kind of been building it up. And now I'm at the point to where I'm working with youth, high school, college, professional athletes um, in a variety of different sports. And mm -hmm. it's amazing. You know, I, I love this field. I love this job because there's so much um, newness to it. You know, it's mm -hmm. not the same thing every day. You know, each athlete presents, you know, unique challenges and kind of a different puzzle to solve. And I'm very interested in, in kind of keeping it fresh. You know, I, I always knew I didn't want the normal nine to five job in an office doing the same thing every day. And so mm -hmm. this job is, is great for me because it, it keeps me excited and there's always a challenge ahead. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing that you mentioned is that whole, <clears throat> uh, I've heard it called like identity foreclosure where you're like, my identity is being a wrestler or being a, a soccer player and talk about, you know, the dangers of that. And then like, you know, the way kind of maybe the way out of it, so to speak. Yeah. So the, the main dangers is, you know, your, your success, your self image, your self worth, your self value, all of this stuff becomes so closely tied to your performance on the field or on the court or on the mat, right? And that's dangerous, you know? That means if you win, you feel great about yourself and you feel like I'm a good person. But then if you lose, which is a natural part of sports, you feel bad about yourself and you feel like I'm not a good person because I am a wrestler. I am a soccer player and I don't see any part of my identity outside of this. Mm -hmm. And you know, sports come with the ups and the downs. That's that's always going to be there. And that's part of sports. And that's what makes sports exciting. But 
your self-worth and your self-value doesn't have to follow those same ups and downs. You can have a more steady, constant um, view of yourself. And that comes from broadening your your identity, you know, and finding aspects of who you are that don't involve sports. You know, and some people hear this and say, well, that's that's not focused enough. You know, I need to be 100 percent committed and and you can be. You know, but you've also got to appreciate and understand that there there's more to you than just the athlete that you are. You know, you're you're probably a, a brother or a sister, you know, a son or a daughter. Maybe you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you have other hobbies that you're interested in or other passions that you have in terms of academic studies and, you know, possible careers that you would want to do when you get older. These are all aspects of your identity that you've got to pay attention to and you've got to acknowledge and appreciate. Because when you have these inevitable setbacks and adversities that you face, whether it's just losing a game or a match or, you know, a a serious one like getting injured, you know, and and Mm -hmm. having your career come to an end, you've Mm -hmm. got to have other aspects of your identity that you can look to and say, no, I'm okay. You know what I mean? Like, I still have my family that loves me. I still have my friends, you know, I still have these other interests that I can go and pursue. Like, my life isn't over. And too often young athletes get into this like do or die mentality where everything is on the line and that's just too much, you know. And so broadening your your identity as a young athlete and, and as an older athlete is, is super important. And it's something that I, I don't think is practiced that much. Right. With, um, like when you're dealing with clients of yours, um, you know, how many of them have that issue? Like, is it, it's I'm sure it's a super common thing. Um, you know, I, I'm, like a lot of them have it, right? Um, yeah, mostly yeah. the younger ones, you know, oh. um, in particular, like high school aged, you know, younger right. than high school. Um, typically, they're they're a little more free. Maybe they're doing multiple sports, but it's it's when they get into high school and they start to specialize and they, they find out like, oh, I'm really good at track, you know, like yeah. that's that's where I fit in. And then they mm-hmm. find that that area where they fit in, but then they close off the other areas, you know, and they mm-hmm. stop they stop building other areas of their life. And so I think the high school college age is, is where it tends to be the worst. Once they get a little bit older than that, they start to maybe build families of their own and, and have other areas of their life that, that they can um, look to and, and find passion and fulfillment. in. so it's those middle kind of adolescent years that, that I've, I've seen at least in my experience where this issue pops up the most. Right. So, I mean, is it like, how do people um, or how do student athletes, young athletes, how do they kind of counteract that? You know, what are some strategies that they, how would you counsel someone to, to sort of, sort of, you know, understand who they are, not just what they're doing, not their activity and identifying with that? Yeah. You know, it, it just takes time with self-reflection, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's that's what a lot of this work is you know like i don't i don't have all the answers um my job is to just try to help guide the clients that i work with to find these answers for themselves so Mm -hmm. i would help them with different self-reflection practices to look inward and ask themselves Mm -hmm. like what do i care about in life what's important to me what do i value uh what's my purpose in life maybe outside of being an athlete you know and really Mm -hmm. starting to ask these questions and explore these areas that Maybe they haven't explored ever in their life, you know, because they've just been so focused on being an athlete. Um, Trying to 
you know, instill in them and remind them that they have these other areas of their life, like their family and their friends Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so just taking the time to talk about these things and, and also explaining to them the, the potential pitfalls of having your identity too closely tied to who you are as an athlete. Um, just the education bit and the understanding for the athletes, I think mm-hmm. helps them to see like, okay, I thought this was good. You know, at, at first I thought it was good for me to go all mm-hmm. in and like, you know, close everything off. But once they start to understand the the potential dangers of it, then they start understanding it more and, and branching out a little bit. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's a little different with each athlete. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of self-reflection with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also mentioned like uh, not getting too tied into or, or having your, your identity within your, your sport, you know, kind of that identity foreclosure um, really affecting you if you have a setback and, you know, just um, talk about, you know, if you do have an injury or, something like that, you know, how do you deal with that? Um, how do you, how does an athlete navigate dealing with setbacks and, um, you know, kind of rising to that challenge of rehabilitation and that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So first would be, you know, this kind of deeper, uh, concept of, of your identity, you know, and, and if mm-hmm. we've done the work of, helping the athlete understand that they have an identity outside of just who they are as an athlete, then it will just naturally be easier for them to cope with this failure or cope with this adversity that mm-hmm. they're dealing with. All right. So that, that's kind of the first step. Um, outside of that, there's, there's a lot of other ways that we can help them cope with setbacks, um, adversities, injuries, things like that. One of the big ones is just mm-hmm. understanding that failure is a part of sports, <laughs> you know, like yep. a lot of athletes, really don't understand this and they have this perfectionistic attitude right where they are holding themselves to this unrealistic standard where they can't make mistakes and if they make a mistake right. they're a complete failure and realistically all athletes make mistakes you know like even the greatest athletes of all time you could watch lebron james playing a basketball game and he might miss a layup now he knows how to make a layup but this stuff just happens you know mistakes and failure are part of sports and when you have that relationship with failure and you understand that this is going to be something I experience, then it becomes a little bit easier to accept. Now, injuries can be a a different, a different battle to have, you know, Um, injuries can be really tough to deal with, but even that doesn't have to be um, this doom and gloom situation, right? There's, there's always a silver lining, you know, and optimism is a big, is a big skill to develop, you know, in terms of your mindset, in terms of sports psychology practice, you know, and so helping them to find that silver lining in each of these situations. And you hear it from a number of athletes when they say things like, you know, yeah, I, I blew my ACL when I was a junior in high school, but it was the best thing for me, you know, mm-hmm. and this happens time and time again, when athletes end up growing and their, their setbacks end up being like a trampoline that propelled them to another level. Right. And but this only happens when you have this optimistic mindset and you're being positive and constructive about the situation that you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
And so trying to figure out what that is, and it might be, you know, oh, I'm, I'm injured here. So now I get to work on developing a different aspect of my game. Now, because maybe I can't get on the field as much, now maybe I'm, I'm forced to do extra film study and, you know, I'm deepening my, my understanding and my IQ of the sport. Maybe because I can't get on the field, I have more time now to invest in the mental side of the game. You know, there, there's always something that opens up, you know, when one door closes, another opens. And so, um, you know, trying to figure out what that door is when you when you are faced with an injury like this and just staying positive and optimistic and reminding yourself, like, there's something for me to do, even though I physically can't do something, maybe mentally or technically or, um, you know, conceptually, I can put in work to try to elevate myself to another level. And then when you come back from that injury, right now you have the healthy knee and you've got the skills that you've been building. So really um, right. just trying to help them see that this doesn't put a stop to your development. It might stop your yeah. development in one area, but now you've got more time to develop in other areas, you know, and, and mm -hmm. just kind of helping them create a plan to move forward. Right. Athletes love goals. They love plans. They love knowing that they're making progress and taking steps forward. So helping them create that plan to uh, work through their injury and develop, even though they're injured um, helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's super insightful. Like, I was thinking that as you were talking, like, you know, I even had a, um, a young woman on the other day who is an assistant coach at Manhattan College, and she had she played Division One soccer, she went on to become a pro. But she had a stretch where she was injured. And she's like, I had a decision to make, I could either mope and feel sorry for myself or and be the victim. Or you know, grow in my role as a team leader. And that's what she chose to do. And I mean, it, like you said, a trampoline effect, it, it sprung her into being a coach eventually. So um, yeah. like it, it just, one thing leads to another, one opportunity leads to another. So exactly. Um, and she, yeah. she was at a fork in the road there, you know, she could have gone uh -huh. down two different paths and those paths lead to very different destinations. You know, has she decided yeah. to mope and feel sorry for herself and be pessimistic, which is the easy way to go, right? Had she gone mm -hmm. down that road, she wouldn't be the person that she is today, you know? So right. this yeah. injury, this setback created this new path for her that has elevated her life, you know? So that this always happens when, when there's adversity. You've just got to be able to think clearly and see these opportunities that are popping up because they pop up. Right. Yeah, I mean, thinking clearly. I guess you know when you're in the in the moment there, you know it's pretty it can be difficult to think clearly. Yes. Um, do you have like I don't know uh, training or or uh, you know just triggers within your mind that say, oh wait a minute, you know I'm I'm going down the wrong path here. I need to course correct. Are there things that that you coach people to, to use in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the underlying skill here is mindfulness, right? And mm -hmm. to me, I view this as the most foundational skill that you can develop in, in terms of your mindset or in terms of your psychology. Um, without mindfulness, none of the other skills that, that I teach and, and that you can apply in sports psychology, none of them are available to you, right? And so mindfulness is essentially... Um, bringing awareness to your thoughts and your emotions in a non-judgmental and in a compassionate way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
at its core, it's, it's awareness or it's attention, right? Awareness of your thoughts, awareness of your emotions. Now, this is huge in sports, right? And it's even bigger in life, right? Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about here is managing your emotions and managing your thoughts when, you know, for example, let's say you, you're dealt with an injury. There are a lot of emotions that come along with that. You know, if you're finding out that you're a junior in high school or a senior in high school, and you just blew out your ACL. Like there's a lot that comes along with that from an emotional standpoint. If you don't have the skill of mindfulness, you can't navigate those emotions very well. Right. right. And you get what I like to refer to as being emotionally hijacked. Right. Where the emotions are taking over. And this happens in so many different situations in life and in sports. You know, it's not just dealing with setbacks or injuries, but it's the nerves and the anxiety before a competition. It's mm-hmm. the fear that you might be dealing with before a competition or during a competition. It's the pressure that you might be feeling once it hits the fourth quarter and it's a tie game. Like all of these are different emotions. And a big part of performing at your best is having the skills to be able to manage those emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of athletes don't invest the time to build these skills, but you can. And essentially, you you just need to build the skill of mindfulness. Right. Mm-hmm. And so navigating your emotions, navigating your thoughts. This is super important for not just performing, but training, getting the most out of your training experience. And in order to practice, you just need to sit and watch your thoughts. <laughs> it's not a very exciting practice. Right. <laughs> but when you invest the time in doing this for 15, 30 minutes a day, and you start stacking those days on top of each other, you start stacking the weeks on top of each other, you start mm-hmm. getting the benefits and you start increasing your ability to be present in those moments, you know, mm-hmm. and this is like a, a, a buzzword right now, you know, presence, you know, I want to be in the moment. And athletes tell me this all the time where they're like, hey, coach, like this, this game, this fight, I, I really want to be mindful. I really want to be in the moment this fight. I'm like, great. Like, that, that's a great idea. Have you ever practiced this? You know, like, do do you spend time like intentionally trying to bring yourself back to the moment when you're in training? Because you can't do this in a competition if you haven't practiced it. You know, you've got to build up this skill no different than you build up any other skill. Right. If if a basketball player is telling me, you know, they want to dunk it from the free throw line in this game. It's like, awesome. That'd be sweet. Can you do that, though? (laughs) You know, like, is is this something you have the ability to do or are you just saying you want to do it? Right. And and I think athletes have this idea that they can just flip a switch and get themselves into the moment. But it's not that easy. You have to build up this skill with consistent practice and practicing mindfulness is the way to do that. So, yeah. Talk about like, what does that mean? You know, if I was a 15 year old, I'd be like, what is this guy talking about? Right. You know, what is what do you mean being present? What uh, what's mindfulness? Um, Kids are probably smarter than I was when I was 15. (laughs) Um, you know, maybe just dive into that a little bit so that we can kind of set the table for, for that yeah, talk. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a ton of research on this and, you know, people might hear it and think it's a little woo woo, but it's, it's gotten out of that stage now. And there's, there's a lot of research that has been done on this, um, mm-hmm. you know, over the last couple of decades and it is very much rooted in science. Um, mm-hmm. There's this amazing book, though, that I would recommend to all your listeners. I, I recommend this to almost every client I work with. It's called The Mindful Athlete, and it's it's written by George Mumford. Mm-hmm. And this guy was the, uh, I don't know if you could call him a sports psychologist, but, the, you know, the mental performance coach that worked with Phil Jackson. So he worked with Michael Jordan and the Bulls when they were winning all their championships, as well as Kobe. 
and Phil and the Lakers when they were winning all their championships. So mm-hmm. this guy has had the ability to not just be around MJ and Kobe, but to help train mindfulness in these athletes. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the most clutch athletes, you know, in the sport of basketball. So um, he refers to it as being in the eye of the hurricane. And now for me, you know, living in New Orleans, Louisiana, this is a very, <laughs> you know, easy analogy to understand. But right. in the eye of the hurricane, basically, it's calm. There is right. no rain, right? You can actually see the sun in the eye of the hurricane. But outside that eye, when you're inside the storm, it is chaos. You can't tell which way is up, which way is down. There's thunder, lightning, rain. And that's what it can feel like in a in a game sometimes. You know, it can feel like you're just getting tossed around in the spin cycle and you can't, like, figure out how to control yourself or control the environment. Now, when you practice mindfulness, you start to get yourself into that center, that calm center where the chaos is still going on. The game is still crazy. It's still happening at a fast speed. There's a lot of variables, but you're able to find that peace and quiet and calmness in the center and have the the ability to choose your actions, right? As opposed to, like I said before, being emotionally hijacked or just being kind of lost in the sauce. So I love that analogy of being in the eye of the hurricane. And, you know, as athletes continue to practice their mindfulness, they can hopefully get to this point. Now, if you wanted to practice, right, you could just go on YouTube, type in 10 minute mindfulness meditation, and you'll find, you know, a thousand different videos to guide you through it. But essentially what you're doing is in the, in, you know, one of the most basic forms, and there's a lot of ways to practice this, but one of the most basic is just awareness of breath practice. And so all you're doing is trying to maintain your focus, your awareness, your attention on your breath, right? And so you could think about your awareness as kind of like a spotlight in the dark, like a flashlight maybe, and you can shine it on a number of different things. Right now, your awareness may be on me and the sounds that I'm making with my mouth. It might be on the way your butt feels as it's sitting in the chair. It may be on the feeling of the air around you. You can bring your attention and your awareness to any of the senses that that are going through your experience right now. But with this practice, you practice awareness of breath. And so you try to follow the breath all the way in and all the way out. And inevitably in this practice, you will get distracted. You'll be following the breath and you'll think, what's for dinner after this? Or I got to do some homework later. You know, let me start thinking about that. Or, man, that practice today was crazy. And, And you start thinking about that. This is normal. Right. And this is part of the practice. Now, what you want to do is notice yourself when you've gotten lost in thought, when you've gotten distracted and refocus your attention back on your breath. Now, every time you do that specific exercise, it's like doing one rep, like one curl in the gym. Mm -hmm. And you're building your ability to catch yourself when you're distracted and to refocus. Right. Mm -hmm. So what athletes want to do is to be able to shorten that that time that it takes to notice that they're distracted and they want to lengthen the time that they can stay focused or concentrated on that one thing that they're focusing on, which in this example is the breath, mm-hmm. right? These are super important skills in sports, you know, and one, one way to refer to it is called next play speed, you know? So how quickly can you get to the next play? If you're a basketball player and you shoot a three and you make it, are you looking at the crowd pumping everybody up or are you running back on defense, mm-hmm. you know? How quickly can you move on? How quickly can you refocus back onto the task at hand, right? If you're, if you're a basketball player and you turn the ball over, are you pouting and, you know, 
hanging your head or are you again back on defense like whether it's a good play or a bad play you've got to get on to the next one as quickly as possible and when you practice mindfulness you increase your ability to do this gotcha um yeah it's it's crucial to like well i guess the higher level you get the the better your ability to focus right i mean it's um it's crucial i would say say the higher level you get the more important that focus becomes right right right. levels you can break focus for a couple seconds and refocus and maybe nothing bad happens Mm -hmm. at the higher level especially like i I work with a lot of combat sports athletes ufc fighters Mm -hmm. things like that if they break focus for one second they might get knocked out they might be asleep the next second you know like it it becomes very very important at the high level Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that these athletes can do it better some of these athletes never train this stuff you know at all right but it becomes more important you're just closer to the tip of the spear you know so the room for error is, is much smaller at a higher level right yeah, I imagine like the uh, the the threat of having your head knocked off is uh, yeah. <laughs> intensifies your focus. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I'd I'd want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I I spoke to uh, a women's lacrosse coach the other day, and she was talking about how she has her players journal prior to um, matches. So that's part of their pregame. She's she sat down with every single one of her players and determined what works best for them pre-match, whether it's going to play wall ball, but they all have to go journal, right? Um, and so maybe like delve into why that works and because, you know, it's increasing your mindfulness and focus and kind of setting the table for, um, you know, being in the right mindset to perform. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, first off, with the with the pregame routines, like mm-hmm. this is something that all athletes should have, you know, establishing some kind of consistency with what you do before a game. And athletes mm-hmm. are typically pretty good at this with the physical side of it. You know, they know how to get their bodies warmed up, but they don't invest the time or they don't think about how to get their minds warmed up, how to get themselves into the competitive mindset that's going to allow them to compete at their best. You know, so really mm-hmm. taking time to think about and organize and plan out a pregame routine will benefit Mm -hmm. a lot of the athletes listening to this. But in terms of journaling, I love journaling, right? I think journaling is incredible. The the problem is journaling can mean a a thousand different things. You know, it depends on the specific journaling exercise that you're doing. You know, you could be journaling and writing down three things that you're grateful for. And this Mm -hmm. might be something that's beneficial before a game because gratitude acts as you know, kind of a natural antidote to pressure. You know, if you're feeling grateful for the situation and your opportunity to go compete in this game, what is there to be nervous about? You know, right. like I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm grateful that I get to play soccer. I love soccer. Like this is amazing. You know, I'm, I'm like over the moon. I appreciate this opportunity so much. So maybe that's what they're doing is practicing gratitude beforehand. Mm-hmm. It, it could be a number of different things. And so right. it, it's hard to, you know, know for sure what the journaling practice was. Um, but in general, I think journaling is great. You know, and it's, again, we talked about self-reflection earlier and how it's such a massive skill and, and, uh, important part of this mental journey. And journaling is, is a big part of that, you know, just taking the time to look inward, you know, and writing it down as well, you know, that, that helps so much. And so, 
yeah, I would recommend to all athletes listening to this to pick up some journaling practice. There's a lot of different journaling exercises you can do, and mm-hmm. uh, that's up to y'all to decide which of those you want to pursue. Right. But just go get a journal first. That's the first step. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have to guys. There's like the stigma probably for dudes out there. They're yeah, like, yeah, you know, I, I got to go get this pink fuzzy <laughs> yeah. you know, journal like, you know, like my sister yeah, has yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. With a lock on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that like you're not. Yeah, well, maybe you are. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and all of the different journaling exercises have their own benefits. You know, mm-hmm. for some people, they just might want to do stream of consciousness where they're just mm-hmm. kind of clearing their mind and they're writing down what they're thinking about. For other people, right. they might want to journal at the end of every day and write down how the day went, you know, kind of like what we talked about at the start with your practice and trying to pinpoint, you know, what were the good things that happened at practice? You know, what were right. some instances of great effort or improvement? What were the successes I had today? You know, maybe right. they want to journal at night. Maybe they want to journal in the morning and they want to set their intention for the day and say, all right, mm-hmm. this is my plan for today. I want to focus on this, this and this. All of these are great practices. It's just up to you to decide which one you want and maybe taking time to self-reflect and ask yourself, what do I need? <laughs> you know, like what's what's my biggest weakness right now from a mental standpoint and developing right. a journaling exercise to help that. Yeah. Um so let's tie this into a question that I got from, um, he's a college soccer player. Cool. Um, he's a, uh, in his fifth year division one, he's looking to go pro. Um, and so his question revolves around getting in the zone. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess the zone can mean different things for people, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, this journaling piece could play into that, but, you know, maybe, Talk about what people are talking about when they say the zone and, um, you know, how do you get there? And has it, has it, I'm sure there's been a ton of research on how to get there, but how do you kind of work towards um, being in the zone, so to speak? Yes. Yes. It's a great question. And mm-hmm. uh, there has been some research, not, a ton, I would say it's, it's kind awesome. of a newer concept in, in psychology and in sports psychology, what they refer to it as is flow. You know? yeah. So being in a flow state or engaging in a flow activity, you know, mm-hmm. and basically what this is, is this is being so absorbed, so engaged, so present with the activity that you're doing that you have this feeling that like time is flying by and everything mm-hmm. is just seamless and you are able to make these decisions without hesitation and everything just kind of falls into place perfectly. You know, for a basketball player, maybe it's this feeling that like the rim is massive and I just can't miss, you know, or a baseball player, like this feeling that no matter what pitch it is, I just feel like I'm hitting a beach ball and I'm going to hit this thing out of the park. Like really just having that, that confidence in the moment, but also the presence and the mindfulness to stay engaged. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're in flow, you're most likely also in the eye of the hurricane. Right. Right. And this can be very challenging, right? Most athletes have experienced this, but to maintain flow for the course of a whole game is extremely difficult, you know? So sometimes athletes will come into it and then slip out of it. Um, The problem with flow is, you can't force yourself into it you right. know, that that by definition is against flow. 
you know, so trying to get into flow will get you further out of flow. You can't make it happen. You have to let it happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is very difficult for athletes because athletes love to control things and they love to think that they have more control than they really do. You know, so one of the things that helps you get into flow is just letting go, you know, and not thinking, but just letting your instincts, letting your training and your preparation take over. And that can be really challenging. You know, that's scary. It's it's um, a little vulnerable, but. In terms of the research, they found that in order to get into flow, you have to have a high perception of your skills, right? So your confidence has to be high and you have to feel like, I, you know, I'm the dude, like I, I've got the skills, I can take on this challenge. And the challenge mm-hmm. that you're facing has to be high as well, right? right? If you feel like your skills are high, but the challenge is too low, you'll be bored, right? right. And if you feel like your skills are too low and the challenge is too high, well, you'll feel like this is out of my out of my depth. Like I can't I can't get there. Right. Right. So you've got to be facing a tough challenge. And so some competitions, they just don't set the table for flow. If you're going up against a team that you're way better than you're probably Mm -hmm. not going to get into flow because they just don't have the skills to force you into that state. Right. Right. So you have to both have a high perception of your of your skills and the challenge that you're facing has to be high as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But Essentially, if you want to get into flow, you got to practice mindfulness, you know, because flow happens in the present moment, you know, and if you're stuck thinking about the past or thinking about the future, you're not in the moment and you're not in flow. And so um, when you are fully engaged, when you are fully present, when you're in the eye of the hurricane, you're most likely also in flow. So if you want to experience this more, practice mindfulness more and you'll increase the odds that you'll slip into flow. But again, there's no set way to guarantee that you can enter into flow. I wish there was, you know, yeah. all of my athletes would be in flow every single time they compete. It's it's not that simple. Just like winning isn't in your control ultimately. Um, and that's something I'd love to talk about more later. But um, yeah. this is one of those things where you just have to let go. You have to trust in yourself and you have to try to be in the moment as much as possible. And a lot right. of times when athletes get into flow, they they think to themselves, oh, my God, I think I'm in flow. And boom, just like that, they're out of it. Over. Yeah. 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 So. Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, so people, I don't know if the research has been done, but like, what are people reporting when they're in flow? Like, what's, are they remembering things? Are they kind of like doing things, not unconsciously, but kind of below the conscious level? Or how does that, what does that look like for them? Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, things like, you know, feeling like time is flying by, feeling Mm -hmm. like there's no resistance or friction, feeling like everything is happening seamlessly or, you know, in, in martial arts, like Bruce Lee talks about this and he says, I don't throw the punch, the punch throws itself, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like, I didn't even think about this. It just happened. And then, and then afterwards I was like, dang, that was nice. I didn't even, I don't even know how that happened, you know? And that's, that's what it is, you know, because, Uh, you know, the thoughts are turned down. And so you're kind of getting away from the cognitive part of your brain where you're kind of walking yourself through all these steps and Mm -hmm. you're letting your higher self or your deeper self or your instinctual self take over. Right. Right. And that self is phenomenal. That Mm -hmm. self knows how to do this stuff because it's put in the work. 
right? right? And when you let that person take over, everything happens quicker. There's the reaction time is slowed down and you just like improve your ability to make decisive decisions and, mm-hmm. and respond the way you want. But it's scary to stop thinking. It's scary to let go of these things and to just say, all right, I trust myself. Like that's right. what most athletes struggle with. And most of the time they're wanting to micromanage and say, no, mm-hmm. I can't let go. I need to make sure everything goes okay. No, everything will go okay. If you trust in yourself and you trust in your preparation, everything right. will take care of itself. And when you right. get in your own way, you don't allow flow to take over. Right. And, yeah. and you know, our thinking mind is too slow. Like, yeah. it, it's like, okay, I see he's going this way. Okay, I'll go this way. You know, you've just got to let, let your instincts take over and trust that, you know, you've, you've been trained properly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like, um, I think the first time I ever heard about the zone, so to speak, or being in flow state was Michael Jordan. Um, I mean, he would just have these games where he seemed to literally be unconscious and he was hitting everything. And I guess for a more modern reference, we could talk about Steph Curry and how, you know, he hits, shots that you know who even thinks to shoot the shots that he hits and like is he thinking about that do you think or is he just like so confident in himself that he doesn't even think about it yes so the thinking is happening right we're always thinking right and some some athletes will say this like you know oh yeah i I didn't think at all that competition it's like Mm -hmm. you were thinking right if you weren't thinking you'd be dead Right. So, so you were thinking the thinking was just happening at a subconscious level. Right. Right. Again, your awareness, like I talked about with the with the light or, you know, the spotlight, the spotlight wasn't on your thinking. So it was happening, but it was happening in the dark. Right. Your spotlight was on the moment. So you were fully engaged in the moment in the activity that you were taking place with. So that's what happens when they're unconscious, you know, when they're not thinking they're just not consciously thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, Steph is still thinking in those moments. Okay, I think I have a gap here. Let me shoot, right? Mm -hmm. He's just not, his awareness isn't on that. His awareness is just in the moment and he's feeling all these things and letting them happen by themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he has like, I would guess like he has so many reps doing these things. Yeah. You know, taking these shots that he's, you know, it's, he doesn't really have to think about the actual shot. He just thinks about the moment, like you said. Exactly. Uh, yep. exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's talk about, let's build into that winning topic, right? Um, another question that I got, I think we'll, we'll move into that. Yeah. Um, this actually, actually comes from my son. So um, they, uh, they're playing well, but they're not getting a result, results out of their matches. Um, and so they, they have, they're losing a little bit. And, um, how do you, what kind of mindset can you create for a team that isn't necessarily having success, but isn't playing poorly necessarily? You know what I mean? Like they're getting unlucky here and there. Um, you know, they play well through a whole match and then one minute they have a lapse and, and they lose control of the match and, and they end up losing. Right. Um, so talk about like, dealing with a, with a slump and then building into a more winning mindset and, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about with winning as well. Yeah. 
And, you know, the, the big topic that I wanted to bring up here is um, letting go of the outcome, right? And mm-hmm. athletes, especially young athletes, right, they focus way too much on the outcome, right? Instead of focusing on the outcome, what they should be focused on is their process, right? And this is because ultimately the outcome is not in your control. And athletes hate hearing this. I, I know it. They hate hearing it. But it's true. And they need to accept that. Right? The more you try to deny this and try to control something that's not in your control, the more tension and anxiety you feel. Mm-hmm. Right? So instead of trying to control the outcome, accept that you don't control it and let it go. Mm-hmm. And say the outcome will be what the outcome will be. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on myself. I'm going to focus on my process my performance, my attitude, my effort, the things that are in my control. And if I do a good job of focusing on those things, the outcome is going to be what I want more often than not. But if I'm spending the whole game thinking about the outcome, well, now I'm not focusing on my process and I'm missing the opportunities or I'm losing the moments as they're happening. And if I keep losing moment after moment because I'm thinking about the end, now I've lost the outcome. Right. And it's it's such a weird concept and it's so hard for young athletes to to understand and really accept. But when you can accept this, you free yourself up from so much fear, because one of the biggest fears that athletes deal with is fear of a certain outcome, fear of losing. Right. But when you know you don't control the winning or the losing, you start to let go of that fear and, you know, no matter what the outcome is, I can perform. I can go out there and control what's in my control. I can have a good attitude. I can give 100% effort. I can try the whole time, never give up, right? Always look to try to find a way to win. No matter if we're losing 5 nothing or 100 nothing. like I can have a good attitude about it. And when you do that, you'll be proud of yourself no matter the outcome. You can go home and look yourself in the mirror and say, we didn't get it, but, you know, we did everything we could, you know, right. because mm-hmm. athletes, they – like almost every athlete can can um, understand this experience of like going out and winning a game or winning a match and then going home and being like, that was terrible. Like, I'm not even happy with that performance like that. That was embarrassing. You know, even though I won, I'm still not satisfied. But yet we tell ourselves all the time that the only thing that matters is winning. Well, this is proof that winning isn't the only thing. If winning was the only thing, no athlete would have a problem with that situation, right? But this is the common issue with athletes where they underperform, they get the win, but they're unhappy. Well, it's because they they didn't control what they had the ability to control, right? And on the flip side, you can lose doing the best that you did and still feel proud of yourself. So really, it's not the winning versus the losing that we want. It's the performance. It's the process. And if you can control that process, you can do your part and whatever happens after that is going to happen. And you can come to terms with that and you can accept that more easily. Right. This is something that, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, Nick Saban, does an amazing job of. Right. He's so focused with his team in Alabama about the process, sticking to the process. He doesn't care that they're winning 40 to nothing. If it's the fourth quarter and he has a guy jump off sides, he's going to be upset. Because the score doesn't matter. The end result doesn't matter. It's the moment. It's the process. 
and you've got to hold yourself to a high standard and stay focused on that process because you might be in a game when that moment will be the deciding moment of the game. In this specific situation, it wasn't, but who knows what it's going to be in the future. You know, so holding yourself to a high standard and focusing on the process is um, is something that can be really helpful. And so to kind of bring it back to this college soccer example with, you know, the slump and them not getting the outcomes that they want, right? I would ask them to define what what is success? Like what what constitutes a successful performance for them? Is it getting the win or is it performing in a certain way, having certain um, things happen, you know, like uh, limiting their number of mistakes or turnovers or penalties, um, doing certain things really well, communicating, passing. Um, what what are they looking at? What are their metrics to define success that are within their control, you know, and focusing on those things. And when you focus on those and control those things, you start getting the wins more often. But sometimes you do all those things and you don't get the win. And that's just the way it goes, you know, like maybe the other team was just better. Maybe the ball was just taking weird bounces that day and, you know, it didn't work for y'all. And that's just how it goes sometimes, you know, but if you're focused on your process, it becomes a lot easier. And, and that's how you get yourself out of the slump, you know, instead of thinking, oh man, we haven't won in six games. Like we have to win this one. Well, that just adds more pressure. It just makes it harder to win. You know, you never want to tell yourself you have to win, right? Right. You want to win. Of course you want to win. Everybody wants to win, but you don't have to win. As soon as you tell yourself you have to win, now you have the pressure of the world on your shoulders. Now you're not going to win, you know? So that's another thing athletes struggle with. Yeah. Um, One thing that may be tied to this, but it's, it's kind of a different topic, but like understanding that you don't have to worry about what other people are like other people's judgments, right? Like how, how do you kind of frame that away from you and, and, you know, not have it be a detriment to your performance? Um, Because like, you know, I I always wonder like, you know, a golfer who steps up and hits a perfect drive, you know, in front of thousands of people and in front of millions of people on television, like I, I I would never be able to do that. But um like, how do you kind of convince yourself to just be on your own little island and be there or be there with your team? And that's it. You know, what are some, I guess it's a mindfulness thing too, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's That's why that's the most fundamental skill you can develop, you know, because yeah. it really is at the core of all these other mental skills. But what you're talking about is essentially fear of other people's opinions, you know, mm-hmm. and this, again, has been researched heavily in, in sports psychology. And when you get somebody who can perform a skill, they can do it really well on their own. But then you put them in front of a crowd of 100 people and they start making mistakes. Right. It's because right. of this fear of other people's opinions, um, fear of judgment. And so what you have to do in these moments is best you can not focus on those mm-hmm. things and instead bring your focus back to your process. Right. Right. If you're a golfer about to tee off, you know how to tee off. You know what I mean? Like you have a routine that you go through every single time you're you're hitting drives when you're at the driving range. Every single time you play 18, like you have a whole process that you go through. Just go through that process. Now, 
what they struggle with most of the time is being able to focus and maintain their focus on that process because they don't have the mindfulness, right? Their, their mind keeps getting pulled to these other things, mm -hmm. these task irrelevant thoughts, these distracting thoughts that are taking them out of the moment and causing mm -hmm. them to underperform. If right. you have the skill of mindfulness, you can notice yourself getting distracted and say, oh, hold on. I don't care what these people think about me. I'm just going to focus back on. I know if I want to hit a good ball, I need to be focused right here. Right. So I'm going to calm myself down. I'm going to focus my attention on this ball and I'm going to swing and hit it. It's as simple yeah. as that. Right. But we trick ourselves into thinking that the skill has changed now that somebody's watching it's it's something different it means something more it's the right. same thing that you've been doing all day every day your whole life right yeah. same thing with shooting free throws at the end of the game when it's a tie game and you got to shoot it to make it's the same free throw that you've been practicing every day at practice just remind yeah. yourself that you know how to do it you've been here before stay focused stay in the moment go through your process and let mm -hmm. it rip you know yeah. and again if you're comfortable already and you've already let go of the outcome You'll understand that sometimes I do everything perfect and it, it just bounces the wrong way. Right. That's the way it goes, you know? Yeah. It's, um, it makes me think of like, you used the word fear earlier. Um, like we're anytime you're in a performance based activity, there's fear, right. And, oh, and being able to deal with it is again, part of mindfulness, but, um, uh, I guess, again, and it may be the same answer, but like, how do you kind of compartmentalize your fear and, and move to a point where, I mean, again, it's the same, I keep answering my own question kind of, but, um, you know, moving past fear and, and just focusing on your performance, is there anything different there? Yeah. So in the moment, you know, mm -hmm. we could talk about fear, but we could also globalize this to, um, uh, more emotions as well, just emotions in general, whether it's nerves, anxiety, pressure. Um, sometimes the emotions you're dealing with are like excitement, like I'm too excited. I'm, I'm you know, maybe you're too bored or um, whatever it might be, right? Um, in the moment, right, you're going to need mindfulness to first mm -hmm. recognize and become aware of, hold on, I'm, I'm experiencing something right now. I'm experiencing fear, right? Most people don't even have the awareness of this and they get emotionally hijacked and the fear has now taken control, right? Once you're at that point, you're in trouble, you know? Right. So you need to have the mindfulness to feel these feelings as they start to arise and you can have the separation and the space to say, okay, I feel the fear coming on. Mm -hmm. Why am I feeling the fear? You start to investigate it. Okay. Well, it's because I'm about to walk out and get in a fight with this guy who's been training for two months to, you know, kick my butt. Okay. Right. Well, this is pretty normal. Right. And, and so you start to investigate it and see what it's like and accepting it. Right. This mm -hmm. is a big part because what you resist persists. And so many athletes think when they feel negative emotions, I've got to suppress them. I've got to bottle them up and pretend like I didn't feel anything. Oh yeah, coach. I'm good. No, 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 no problems. Coach. I'm good. Right. I hear this stuff all the time from athletes. You're not solving yep. the problem. All you're doing is pushing it down. And then 10 minutes later, it's going to come back even stronger. And then you bottle it up and push it down again. And then 10 minutes later, right before the game starts, boom, it comes flooding out. And you're like, oh, crap. 
I can't even breathe. I can't even walk. I feel terrible. Well, it's because you never allowed yourself to feel that emotion. You never processed it and let it flow through you. You just shoved it down and suppressed it. And now it's to the point to where it's going to overwhelm you. Right. So what I always suggest to athletes is accepting the feeling that you're feeling. Right. So in therapy, they call this ACT acceptance commitment therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. When you accept this and you allow yourself to feel it and you have the mindfulness and you, you don't have the the stickiness of it, but you have the space between yourself and the emotion, you will feel it, but it will come and go because nothing is permanent. Right. And so allow yourself to feel it. Okay, I'm feeling fear right now. This is normal. I'm getting ready to compete. But Mm -hmm. I trust in myself. I know what I'm doing. I trust in my team. I trust in my coaches. I trust in my preparation. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Right. And and it's all normal. And when you go through that process, before you know it, the fear is gone. And it's not, you know, it might come back, but it's not going to come back stronger. Right. Whereas when you resist it and you, you bottle it up and you push it down, you're just making it stronger. Right. And you're not solving any of the problems. So that's that's what I would say for in the moment. But then there's also a lot of work that you can do beforehand to work to let go of those fears in the first place. You know, stuff that we right. talked about before, like uh, detaching yourself from the outcome when you truly detach yourself from the outcome and, and you don't care about it. Right. Obviously, you care. You want to win, but, you know, you don't control it. Well, that mm-hmm. fear of losing, it stops showing up. Right. right. And you start to understand, like. If I lose, I lose. If I win, I win. I'm going to go out and perform, you know, right. and and then you stop having that fear in the first place. So there's both, you know, strategies for dealing with it or coping with it in the moment, as well as strategies for helping yourself reframe the fear or viewing it from a more positive perspective. That's going to help just minimize the intensity of it when it does pop up. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, there's another guy that I had on here. He was a. Um... He's a U.S. national team soccer player, um, played over in England in the Premier League. But um, his name is Jay Demerit, and he uh, he like worked his way up. He graduated college, went over to England, and worked his way up from like the lowest division up to the Premier League. And so they were they were um, playing in a match that was in the second division, and if they won, they got promoted. Right. That's that whole promotion relegation thing that's in English soccer. Um, but he said that, you know, the fans, it was in Wembley, I think. And, you know, this massive crowd and it's loud. And, you know, he just said that he kind of he has a whole TED talk about it. Like, are you prepared for your sunny day? And like, I deserve to be here. And so, like, I've earned being here. And I, you alluded to that earlier. Um, where you're just, you know, grateful when you're you're talking about being grateful and showing gratitude in the moment. Um, is that I'm I'm sure that there's been a, you know, there's literature to back it up that if you have that attitude, then you're going to be present. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So gratitude is a huge skill, you know. Uh-huh. And again, this is one that young athletes struggle with the most. Like, mm-hmm. typically, um, you know, they just that age group, they, they take things for granted. You know, they don't quite understand how good their situation might be and, and how much they should appreciate what they have and what they've been given and the life that they were born into. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. to be grateful for. And, you know, taking time to practice gratitude will help you to feel gratitude more frequently when you want to, which would be before a competition. 
again, like we talked about with the mindfulness, if you never practice this, don't expect to be able to do it on competition day, you know, right. like that, yeah. that is just so unrealistic. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it is massive, you know, gratitude, right. super, super helpful. And like I said before, it kind of acts like a natural antidote to pressure, you know? And so practicing, um, telling yourselves like, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to go compete, you know, right. because there are so many things that could have happened in your life that could have taken you away from this competition, right? We, we spent some time talking about injuries before. If you're right. competing in this game, you're probably not injured. And so be grateful for that. Be grateful that your body is healthy enough to allow you to compete, you know, be grateful that your team is good enough that, you know, you've gotten to this stage and now you're competing for a championship or whatever it might be. You know, right. every opportunity you get to compete and to train like these are amazing opportunities, because at the end of the day, we're talking about games here. You know, <laughs> what I mean? like we're talking about people playing games and mm-hmm. some of these people that may be listening are fortunate enough to play games and get paid for it. Like talk about an amazing opportunity that athletes take for granted sometimes, you know, and they get too wrapped up in, you know, the seriousness and the the business side of the sport but this is a game this is supposed to be fun you know what i mean and when you're grateful for it and when you're focused on joy and fun you mentioned steph curry he's one of the best at this you know um when he plays he's he's having more fun than anyone on the court and oh by the way he's performing better than anyone on the court too you know and so many people think that when you bring fun into the picture well now you know, they're going to start making mistakes. They're not going to be focused and this and that. No, there's a way to balance it out. And when you find that balance, you actually elevate your performance. So maintaining joy for the sport, having fun, you know, and being grateful for the opportunities to compete, all this stuff just puts you into this mindset that's going to more often than not send you down a path um, of higher performance, as opposed to, you know, feeling like I have to win feeling the stress and the pressure of competition, the seriousness, this is do or die. Everything's on the line. You know, if we lose, we go home. Like all of that stuff just adds pressure. And it feels like you're, you're like walking to the gallows and it doesn't have to be like that. You know, like it, this can be an enjoyable experience. And when you have it as that, you open yourself up to be in the moment, to get into that flow state more often and to, you know, get your optimal performance. Right. Yeah. It's, um, the, uh, there's a big sign. I, I was watching the U S open a few weeks ago, uh, tennis U S open. And there's that big sign that Billy, that Billy Jean King quote, where it says pressure is a privilege. I mean, yeah. what's, what shows more gratitude than that? You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so we're at an hour, but I, I want to ask you one more thing. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we can do this again because this is Absolutely. tremendous. Yeah, interesting. I, I got time today as well. So, no okay. Um, so talk about the role of the coach. Like uh, when we talk about fear and, you know, I've heard so many kids talk about the fear of making a mistake. Like if I make a mistake, the coach is going to jerk me off the field and, or they're going to yell at me or that sort of thing. So talk about the importance of, uh, you know, allowing athletes to make mistakes and giving them that kind of latitude to feel free and confident in their, in, you know, not worry about making mistakes. Yeah. From the coach's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I think a lot of the, these issues 
come from focusing too much on the outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. And coaches do this, you know, just as bad as athletes, right? So if a coach, if their top priority is winning, well, they don't care about developing their athletes. They don't care about the long-term growth and the potential for them to become, you know, higher level athletes in the future. If you don't cut it, you're out and we're going right. to find somebody who does a better job. Right. And so it becomes very cutthroat and uh, inhumane. And that that's not what the best coaches do. You know, again, we talked about Nick Saban earlier. This guy has an unbelievably high standard of excellency. Right. He holds his players accountable, but he also coaches his players. He yeah. also helps his players to become better football players and better men. Right. And that's what all coaches should be trying to do. And if you really care about that, growing and developing your athletes, you need to understand that they are going to make mistakes. And that mistake is not a bad thing. That mistake is an opportunity for you to coach them. Mm -hmm. If all they're doing is having success, you can't coach them. <laughs> they're, they're already good. They're already perfect. Yeah. They're not making any mistakes. So mistakes from your perspective as a coach, that's an opportunity. You right. should be excited about that. And now this is your chance to help this player elevate their game, deepen their understanding of the situation, because maybe they just didn't understand what was going on. And now right. you can help them learn and become better. Right. And sometimes that means you got to yank them from the game. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying like never do that or, you know, like right. discipline isn't necessary or any of that stuff or accountability. Like all of this stuff is important, but it doesn't have to come from a punitive perspective or a belittling or berating you know um perspective there needs to be love and genuine care you know and there's a saying that i love um which is the athletes they they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care right right yeah. they don't care if you're the best coach in the world and you know everything about this sport if you don't care about them right so they need yeah. to know that you care about them and they learn that by your actions, by what you do to them, what you say to them, how you treat them. And if you're right. treating them like crap, they don't care. They're not going to be able to learn from you because right. they don't have that trust. Right? right. So as a coach, like you're really like a sports psychologist, you know, right. whether you want to be or not, that's what you signed up for. So you right. need to learn how to manage the psychology of all of these different athletes on your team. And right. each of them are different. They're all unique. They all have different motivators and different buttons mm -hmm. to push. They all have different things that they care about, different identities, like we talked about, that add mm -hmm. to them and who they are as a person. You have to invest the time to learn these things and right. really care about your team. And now this is work. This is a lot of work. But this is what you signed up for. And if you want to be a good coach, a successful coach, then this is what you need to do. And um a lot of coaches don't do this kind of stuff, you know, yeah. strictly looking at the X's and the O's and they're treating it like a business. And um, look, I like in, in certain industries like that, that's a little more acceptable, like in the professional world. But if we're talking about high school and college, like we need to chill out a little bit with the, you know, pressure on winning, you know, from the coach's standpoint. And remember that these are kids, you know, the majority of them won't go on to play in college or professionally and mm -hmm. how you treat them as people and how you help them grow as people is much more important than any outcomes that you get on the field. Right. 
And so yeah, I would say like bringing it back to those things, truly caring, yeah. truly practicing love and joy and, and, um, you know, seeing these athletes as people and not just, um, you know, pawns for you to try to win games. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the best coaches that you think of are, are the ones who, you know, care about their players. Um, yeah. And it must pain you to keep reference as an LSU guy to reference oh, Nick Saban, but yeah, I've done, I, I've done my, uh, I've, I've forgiven him, you know, <laughs> and we've come full circle now. And it, some of my friends or family or, you know, LSU, um, alum with me, they, mm-hmm. it might pain them more to hear what I have right. to say, but I see it for, for what it is. And he's phenomenal. <laughs> and, and I'm happy to, um, give him his flowers now what i won't do is praise alabama right, right. i'll praise right. nick saban you know all the time but alabama they still suck well yeah i mean he did bring lsu a, a national title right yeah and then he left right that's yeah. why we hate him <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah um so yeah um let's kind of shelve this for until we can get together again because um yeah. I think it's cool to release them like as an hour episode. Um, But uh, I mean, it's, there's so much more to dive into and uh, you know, I really appreciate the way you present the information. So uh, I would look forward to doing it again. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. And yeah, Yeah. like you mentioned, it's a, it's a very, very deep field and um, Mm -hmm. we haven't even scratched the surface. You know, there there are so many different mental skills and things to talk about from an individual standpoint from a team standpoint, coaching standpoint, mm-hmm. um, training, competing, so many different things to talk about. And yeah, I would love to come on again and, and talk okay. more and dive into some different topics maybe and answer more yep. questions that you might have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's hit stop here. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast. As always, thank you for continuing to subscribe and share the podcast. Please send me your questions or comments you have and check us out on social media. See you on the trail.